scripture readings this morning are from are continuing on in the book of Acts, Acts 8, and 9, the first part of Acts 8, Acts 8, and 2, and 1. And Saul approved of his execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen, and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women, and committed them to prison. For he is at my right hand. That's not supposed to be there, is it? That's just, that's just um, apocryphal. So, um, that's in the way back. Um, so, forget that part. He committed them to prison. <clears throat> but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found anyone belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told where you are to go, what you are to do. The men were, who were traveling with him stood speechless hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul rose from the ground, and although his eyes were opened, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying, and he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints at Jerusalem, and he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go. For he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes. And he regained his sight. Then he rose, baptized, and taking food, strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon his name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priests? But Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul, 
They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples. And they were all afraid of him, for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in, he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preached boldly in the name of the Lord. And he spoke and disputed against the Hellenists, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Sarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, Howard Brown, the senior pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, hope you guys got to take a quick look at the bike race going on. I was um, at first very irritated by it, but then I got into the spirit of it. Um, and uh, glad to see you made it through. And um, you are the faithful ones who found their way. Um, God bless you. Um, and I want to say um, praise God um, for the women's retreat that happened um, this weekend. And I thank uh, our cousin, well, Kelly's biological cousin, but our cousin Suzanne Bates uh, for speaking at that conference. Thank you, Suzanne, so much. She's here this morning down here, so good to have you worshiping with us. She uh, is a member of New City PCA Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and um, just another church in the line of churches in our denomination who seek for a multi-ethnic uh, ministry. You guys are international too, aren't you? A little bit. Um, and uh, restoration and revitalization in the city. And so um, Barry Henning is the pastor there. So if you go to St. Louis, that may be a church you visit among many. Um, Just your... Wait a minute. You get to talk at the women's retreat, not now. (laughs) This is my my time, Cousin Suzanne. What? Oh, yeah, she did introduce me and you. Oh, I better be very respectful. It was like the scripture. She said the Lord told her that Kelly would like me. You know, I'm try- we're running late. You- I'm trying to get to the sermon, but the more you guys push these jokes, you know how I can get. You sure it was the Lord? I looked good back then. It's easy to confuse whether the Lord told you just the way I looked told you. All right, look, y'all, I have to preach this morning because that is my true calling here. Y'all can come later at the house. We can laugh and talk about these things. But today, as we continue in our sermon series, we will look at what is one of the most popular and impactful conversions in the Bible. The conversion of the Apostle Paul, back then named Saul, the man God used to write most of the New Testament and lay the foundation biblically with Uh, for what Christianity and even Christendom is all about. 
God used this man mightily to bring, to bring the gospel to non-Jews, and which most of you in this room are. And, and we'll get to most of the story later as we go through this book. But before his conversion, Saul was as much opposed to Christianity and Jesus as he ended up being for it. If there was one thing you could not take away from how this man, who before his conversion was named Saul again, one thing that even continued into his ministry was that this brother was serious. He was hyped. He was intense. He was zealous and all in to whatever he was into. After what we saw last week when Stephen was pummeled to death with stones and where your scripture picks up for talking, he was talking too much and too sure about Jesus and that believers in Jesus spread out from Jerusalem away from city center Judaism all over the place. Some went south, many went north, and north toward Damascus was where Paul, Saul at this point, was going to try to go regulate, to take this dark spot on pure Judaism and faith in God out. He was Saul, the deputized believer hunter. So he gets on his horse and rides towards manifest destiny, but not the one he was expecting, but that the Lord had planned for him. And it was on this road to Damascus that he discovered that apart from Jesus, we live our lives in the dark. That through Jesus, we find new life in the dark. And that with Jesus, we live in the light. So this brother is headed strong towards Damascus. And the Bible tells us, as we have read, that, that a light came down from heaven and struck him blind. But that blindness served a purpose. As we read this scripture, it was declaring that before God and outside of belief and trust in Jesus... He, Saul, and we are already blind, blinded ironically by our own light. Let's not get it twisted about Saul. This brother was a Bible fanatic, a scholar of the word of God par excellence. He was Harvard PhD when it came to the scriptures. This man was also Greek educated. Saul could hang with the Socrates and the Plato's of his day. If he had to, he was from Tarsus, the Turkish intellectual capital. But on top of that, when it came to living righteous and doing all that God would have you to do, following the law, doing the commandments of God, living in community, all would agree that Saul was a holy and righteous, love the God of the Bible, good man. He was bright and shiny good. One thing Paul saw, I'm going to say Saul and Paul interchangeably. Y'all just got to deal with it. Saul was, he was right. That brother was correct. He was sure. He was moral. He was upstanding in his world. And when he walked around the street, he got much respect for being like that. But both religious and right, he was blind in the light. I like that rhyme. (laughs) Because he was in the dark about Jesus. Some of us are righteous by being informed and reformed. We've got Greek and Hebrew, the word study books, Christian classics all read. When and if people ask who your father is, you say Augustine, Polycarp, or Athanasius. 
You bleed C.S. Lewis, James, Conan, Cornell West, and can quote the Bible like a walking concordance. You live as holy and are predestined to be as holy as only 5% of the people in the world. Some of us are as righteous, are righteous by how you are loved and respect, respected. People just love you, and you just love people. And that means for you that you are a good person, that you definitely see things clearly more than most. Some of us are good and righteous by how successful we are. Your family pushed getting paid or getting and achieving your goals. You're a college graduate. You, you, you have the PhD. You got that good job. You've risen out of your family history and past and community. You have a story to be told and honor, maybe, maybe even made into a TV, made for TV movie. Some of us feel enlightened and righteous by how artistic and above and below the mainstream flow we are. Some of us are righteous because we're so healthy. Exercise, food, environment, we green and we lean. (laughs) Some of you are righteous by how moral you are. You believe you see clearly because of that. You got amendment one, two, three, four, and five right. You stand on the right side of every legal thing going on in the country. You know what this group people need to do. You know how to vote. You got all the Trayvon Martin stuff figured out. You got the signs in your yard because you're so sure. Some of you don't, don't do the wrong thing. You're a good person. You don't lie, steal, or cheat, or not nearly as much as other people do, and you don't eat pork. And yet, without, apart from Christ... Without the gospel of Jesus, his ethic and his person and lordship and all of that, and all of that enlightenment like the Apostle Paul, I am going to say with confidence and audacity, you and I are blinded by our own light, by the brightness of our own ability, by the flash of our own confidence, by the brilliance of our success, and by the star of our own goodness. We are blinded by it. I don't know if y'all are Lord of the Rings fans. I try to stay away from that because so many Christian people are all up in the Lord of the Rings. I hate that. Between Lord of the Rings and the Matrix, ah, it's just irritating to me. It's too shiny good. But that ring, man, put on that ring. It is so good. It is so precious. And you put it on, it takes you to a place of beauty and contentment and control. You go there, man, to the other side. You, you can see it all. But ironically, where you have the ability to see so much, it leaves you with so much insight that you are blind to the truth and the final truth and goal. It can take you to so much rightness that you miss the truth. I mean, that is true, which it is. Then we get blind about our life. But how often twisted it really is. The Bible says here that says here that, that Saul was going to persecute believers. Because he was right. He, he even got the approval of the high priest to do so. He had his papers and his heart cause. But in the chapter, in chapter 26, where, where Paul retells this same story, he says Jesus also asked him this. Paul, Saul, why are you kicking against the goads? Now, nobody I know goes around talking about goads, not goats, goads with a D. Remember that for words with friends. <laughs> what is the thing you poke the cattle with to kind of keep them going in the right direction? A goad had like a sticky end on the end of it. It was like Saul was hitting the stun gun 
or walking into the electric fence, just going straight towards it, even though he's getting shocked and decided to keep going in that direction. What goals did we see in Saul's life? I think one of the more interesting ones was his stand against his own teacher, Gamaliel. Now, I don't know whether you remember last week, the Pharisee, Gamaliel, that said, we need to leave these Christians alone. Don't persecute them. If they're not from God, it'll die down. If it is from God, be careful. You might be opposing God. In other words, wait and see whether it's from God. Don't be so sure and arrogant. Now Saul was his pupil, the understudy, the intern. He was a star prodigy of Gamaliel. And get this, Saul went against the wise words of someone wiser and more righteous than he was and did exactly what he shouldn't have been doing. Saul was a Jew of Jews. And yet for his own sense of truth, he imprisons his own people in the jail of their oppressors, the Romans. Just doesn't compute. And and then he uses Roman political control mechanism over these Jews to have them arrested. He chases them. He chases down those who had run away. He had public enemy number one consciousness, but he became public enemy number one to his people. Saul is blind. He was blind to the darkness in his life. He couldn't hear from those who were wise. He couldn't listen. He was hard-headed. He was conscious and arrogantly sure, and he, he was bringing death and despair on others in the name of God. He was acting and living like God's Savior and not like one who was saved by God, and there is a big difference. He literally couldn't see the darkness and backwardness of his ways. He couldn't even be a wise Jew anymore. He was so consumed with political and moral rightness and correctness and being right and so-called holy and godly and biblical that he had gone wrong. If you and I are living our lives in our own light apart from Jesus, apart from the application of the gospel in it, we will become hard-hearted, blind, and deaf to the truth. We will become murderous and mean and ignorant and self-destructive and, and pursuing what we think we should for our sense of right and wrong. We'll actually begin to hurt those whom we are called to help, our spouses and our kids and our churches, our communities. We will become stupid strict in our thinking. For those in your rightness, standing against the man, you will actually help the man. For those who are moral, you will hate your neighbor for morality's sake. For those who are so smart, you you will become the Dr. Frankensteins of the world, inadvertently creating a harmful monster of your arrogance. You'll start selling crap to your own people and start using it yourself, if you will. Like Saul, you will stop doing what you're called to do to do what you shouldn't. And the hard part is that you and I are blind to it. Whether we are believers who are not trusting Jesus in an area of our lives or a non-believer who has yet to trust Jesus in our lives, you and I are blind to it. So like the apostle, we ride through life blinded by our own light and blind to our lives. And it, it is, it has to be through Christ alone, that we get new life in the dark. 
So the apostle rides hard towards Damascus to shed his light and give his life for this antichrist cause. And the Bible says this in verse 3, chapter 9. Now as he went on his way, I like that. Chapter, verse 2 says, belonging to the way. And in, chapter, in verse 3 it says, now as he went on his way, right? Um, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. The men who, you, who, who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one, Saul rose from the ground and all those eyes were opened. He saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight and neither ate nor drank. This man who was blinded by his light gets put in the dark by the new light in his life. He is knocked off his high horse, literally. He gets yoked by Jesus. He, he gets snatched by a stunning light. And the light is not just a light. It had a voice, and the voice was not just a voice. It was a person. The person was just not a person. It was the Lord Jesus. He was awakened to and then put in the dark by Jesus. I say put in the dark because for the first time in his life, Saul was blind to his way and his life and turned to a new life that he had yet to see and experience. You ever get light and knowledge at the same time? It's not as abstract and ethereal and deep as as you think. Let me tell you what I mean. When I was in sixth grade... I went over to my friend Travis's house to play. Travis lived in a different neighborhood. And we went from his house over to a kid named Troy's house. Still remember his name. We'll never forget it. To play football. It all turned into who was the new top kid on the block. Mind you, this was not my block. But I had to kind of punk or beat up Troy to prove something. He was smaller and all, you know. So I remember playing football and pushing him around and mistreating him during the football game. He's trying not to get into it. And then this one last push pushed him over the edge. And he was like, oh, that brother did this boxing move on me, right? He was like, oh, you want to fight? And I remember when his fist connected with my eye. He boxed me so hard. It was like a flashing light. And then the next split second, enlightenment, right? I was going to get my behind kicked. In one split second of that light, I, will, I thought, man, there goes all my cool points. A socially bankrupt at school. Oh, crap. And then as my eye went black, darkness, I was so dazed. I couldn't think or swing anymore with no accuracy. I was awakened by the light, enlightened by the light, and left disabled in the dark all at the same time. The Bible says that Saul was kicking against the goals, that he was using his light and life to oppress and persecute and fight Jesus, and that he fought God and God and Christ knocked him into a new life of darkness where he could only trust Jesus for light. We call being led by God's light in the darkness of your own. You know what we call that? We call that faith. 
belief in Christ. And that is true for each one of us that before we go too far down the road in our success or or righteous crusade or our belief system or being right against the whole world or, or correct no matter what, before we let the spit start flying in confrontation and telling our point with passion and standing with our signs on the road, we might need to realize that it was and will be by Christ alone that we can get right that we will see the light, that we will see ourselves and and our lives is broken for the first time. It doesn't happen unless the Lord enlighten you and take you into the dark of your own desires, into the dark of your own way, into the dark of your own life. And that, my friends will not always feel good. You and I, when we come to faith in Christ, I promise you, there will be times when you've turned from something and begin to follow Christ that you will be disoriented and confused and even angry when Jesus comes into and charges into our lives. We will literally not be able to see for ourselves. That's what true conversion and repentance and true faith feel like. That like Saul, your eyes are open, but you can't and don't see for yourself anymore. That is scary. To in turning to Jesus, losing your grip on your own life, giving control over to Jesus, letting him take all that you have believed and lived, all that you're afraid to live all your life, letting him take what is most precious and guiding and driving your life to to no longer have a life goal or purpose or vision or, or protective mechanisms like you said, to have Jesus literally knock you into his, into faith in me and make the eye of our heart swell shut with blind trust in him. And surrender. Repentance to God can be so scary, so counterintuitive that Jesus, get this, Jesus has to and will take cheap shots on our lives. Because he's God. That we can't see coming. That we can't raise our defenses against. He makes real things, this is the hard part of the gospel, okay? That that he makes real things crumble in our lives. He makes all that we hope for and love and need and lean on and thought we were true fade into darkness. He will make all that gives you life and rather you thought gave you life and kill it. He will take all that is getting you there like Saul's horse and knock you off of it. In conversion, people coming to Christ was, is, and always will be about people being spiritually bum-rushed and grabbed by God. Because you and I on our own will never give up. We can't give over and up what we hold as our light and our very life. So Jesus will take it and snatch and snatch us uh, uh, out of it and snatch out the life and stomp out the flame and smother the breath of anything that keeps us hurting our chances of being his when he wants us. 
you're not a believer. You heard the testimony this morning. The folk in this room, the folk you'll see come to the Lord's Supper, all these stories you may have heard about, you know, the elders praying for this one and, 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 and Elder Todd getting up and saying something, being used by the Lord. All the people you consider superstars in the faith, even if they're just like ghetto superstars, they're superstars here at Christ Central. <laughs> All you see come to this table, I don't care how much gray they have in their hair, how long they've been married, how good they come across, whose name they have on their bumper sticker, whether they wear, like to wear red or blue. These believers, trust me, I know, have been kidnapped. They have literally been snatched. They have been hijacked. They've been figuratively slapped in the eye. They've been distressed and broken down and stunned and flunked by God to bring them to the love of Jesus. And they are getting better in similar fashion. Jesus don't stop. Jesus continues to show up and flash mob them with his grace and change them and, and keep them in the right path and bring them back from wandering. I, I like Phil's testimony here. Sometimes Jesus just comes like, no, don't flash mob me at work, Lord. Don't show my brokenness in front of those people, please. And Jesus is like, I'm showing up now to break you down. But he does not leave us alone in our new life in the dark. The Bible says that Saul got up and he couldn't see. And verse 6 says this, but rise, this Jesus talking, and enter the city and you will be told what you are to do. And he tells him to go see some people. In the new life of darkness, those who were with him had to walk him had to lead him to Damascus. He couldn't even ride his horse. That's gone now. That way of getting ahead, that's done, right? And that his religion got real because it says for three days he didn't eat or drink. It meant that this man was repenting for not living right. He knew it. It means he lost his appetite to feed the life he was living apart from, apart from Christ. He would no longer feed himself by himself. Look with me at verse 10. Now, there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias. So, Lord, call your name. It's in red. That means listen. And he said, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, rise and go to the street called Straight. Love that. I live on Straight Street. And at the house of Judas, uh, sometimes God straight's a little twisty. I called it Straight. Because sometimes straight to me is a little curve. Anyway, and at the house of, that's another sermon. At the house of Judas, look for a man at, of Tarsus named Saul, for, for behold, he is praying. And he has a vi- seen a vision, I'm sorry, and he has seen a vision, a, in a vision, a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, my Lord, 
right? I have heard from many about this man, how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority. I hear that he has authority from the chief, chief priest to bind all who call on your name. That means dragging people out in the middle of the night in their drawers. This is not good. But the Lord said to him, go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel, for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house and laying his hands on him, he said, brother Saul, Brother Saul, I like that. The Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you came has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately something like scales fell from his eyes and regained his sight. And then he rose and was baptized. And taking food, he was strengthened. There's a lot here. We'll come back to some of it. But understand that Saul could not live his new life in Christ alone in the dark. He would not have been able to negotiate how to live and where to go, having lived one way and in one direction all of his life. He could not move forward to live in the light without someone being with him and meeting him in his new life in the dark. Saul would not have become one of the greatest apostles of the New Testament if who, who, whose house did he go to? Um, Judas. If, if Judas wasn't there and, and Ananias was not there to welcome him and lay hands on him and, and feed him with his food, with his service, and tell him and confirm to him that he was and had experienced that what he was and had experienced was Jesus and that he truly belonged to God, that this was no Jake Saul, that Jesus wants you and loves you. And so we have further on, Paul, now he's preaching. People think, man, what's wrong with this guy? Let's get him. And you have disciples. What? Taking the brother and laying him, putting him in a basket, throwing him over the wall so people don't kill him. And then Barnabas has to bring him to the apostles because the apostles don't believe he is the real deal. Hope you see what Jesus has done and does for those. He is called to walk in new life and newness of life. He protects them. He does not leave us alone in the darkness of our change. He provides help through the graces of the church, the baptism, the Lord's Supper, and community. In our passage, the Lord provides help against condemnation of the past that is sure to get Saul from those who only knew him as a hater of the church and against the condemnation of those who hate him now that he has become a believer. Understand When you and I come to Christ or trust him deeper in some way, it ironically will put you in a place having left an old way of thinking and living behind where you can be closer to being unsure than sure about your faith, though it is real. When you turn to Christ, you will stand in a place where you can be hurt and mistreated. That's why when people come to Christ in certain ministries and the next day they got folk preaching and doing other things they're not called to do, it becomes spiritual abuse. Because you're in a place where the former life and way we live can come back to haunt us and make us feel like dirt. Where those who were your friends and allies and things that help you now have become your enemies. It will be easy to not be trusted or trust others when you walk in a new life of faith. You may feel like you've been too bad or the things and things you're turning from will be too much for Jesus and the church to handle, that you have been messed up and missed too long to come to Jesus to trust him, that going into the dark with your life, giving your life to Christ will leave you lonely, and that, and that is the key. Jesus does not leave and will not lose us. 
He has given his people to your life and to his church to feed you, to serve you and give you strength for what you have lost in following him. And he's given to them his words and his grace and his sacraments to hold you in, to to help you pass all the wrong you've done, to not let you live in fear of guilt and condemnation. I love that testimony. I didn't even have to read no illustrations for my sermon today. But Phil said, these folks showed up. And like Saul, I'm sure when he showed up, we don't trust each other right now. What's going on in here? Here come these elders. I'm scared. He gives you people who will live with you in the darkness of your new life because through them he is refusing to leave you alone in the new life of your darkness. It may feel like you will die if you go to Jesus. I'm telling you that it will be too emotionally traumatic to leave behind your old ways and old relationships and old associations and old things that you did to make yourself feel and look right. Let me say something. You cannot guide yourself, especially if you're a Christian. Christians are crazy. We got just enough spiritual thinking to think we're free, and then you start free thinking. Then you start free falling, let me tell you. Christians among all people, because we don't have like this faith which is about being self-sufficient. You know, you come to Christ, we're going to give you the power to live your destiny. That's not what it's about. It's about the power to give up your destiny and joining with a body as a weak part. You know, someone said, you know, how does a pastor know that they're maturing? This is all these pastoral maturity books. And I finally read a good one. Most of them are, you know, you need to grow in this way and you can do all these things. The best advice I got from a pastoral maturity book is you learn that you don't have 20 gifts, you got one. (laughs) That you don't stink in one area, you stink in 20. Christianity is upside down. It does not free you. It blinds you just enough where you need somebody else to feed you, take care of your sorry self, and lead you where you have to go. I mean, man, look, I'm going to miss you, Pastor Giorgio, when you roll out, because I've told you, I roll in office, I got all kind of ideas in my head. Why? Because I'm a Christian who lives in this world, and I live in this body. And I'm like, hey, man, what if the Bible had some extra books? He's like, man, please, sit down. <laughs> See, you think you're the only one who thinks these things? I'm watching the History Channel. They found the scrolls. I'm like, oh, no. There were aliens. That's how we got here. Why do I think that way? Because I'm a Christian. I'm crazy. I need something to keep me going. If I weren't a Christian or part of some simply moral religion, then I wouldn't have any problems. I could run my own life. Push past the fear. And like Saul, be obedient, walk towards the church, give your life to Jesus, and then bring it towards the care in the church. Why? Your Lord promises to meet you there. Gosh. And when he does... With him, we live in the light of an unbelievable life. When God calls Saul and turns his life around, he's not the only one. 
this is crazy, man. What must Judas be thinking? The guy who opens up his house to Paul. Hey, you know, the, the killer of Christians, the one who will imprison you is rolling by tonight, let him sleep over. It ain't going to happen in my house. Think about all that happens. This don't happen. This is crazy. This is what I would describe as unbelievable. And that's why Ananias needed the Lord to call his name out in red. Ananias, here I am, Lord. Paul's going to stay with you. It was so bad that God's telling him to do something, and he says, I don't know, God, if you're right. It's unbelievable. So, you know, you talk about the scales falling. I mean, take and care, take in and care for this terrorist. But in a very real way, the scales fell off Saul's eyes, but they did so Ananias, the disciples, and the apostles too. Where a killer of believers one day becomes a preacher the next where one of the smartest debaters against Christianity becomes one of the best debaters for it, where enemies become friends in one night, where Saul becomes a helpless and the helpless become the healers, where a Jew of Jews becomes a light for the Gentiles, Gentiles, where, as the scripture says, the one who persecuted the church will gladly suffer for its growth. This is an unseen, unthought of, no idea this was possible to happen life that Jesus calling his people to. The Bible says in verse 21, as Paul was preaching, they say, is this not the same man who made havoc of the church and he's now calling Jesus' name in other words this is unbelievable before the scales fell off our lives before the Lord broke through with his light before we were led in the darkness of faith there was no way you and me like we could imagine or see, or comprehend what the Lord could do for us and in us and through us when you and I give our lives and turn to repentance of Jesus to obey his call on us to be brought and cared for. He makes a way out of what looks like no way. He makes something out of nothing. He, he calls us to be and do what shouldn't and couldn't be done before. When you and I walk with him, we walk in a life and for a life where we see the unbelievable and unimaginable happen to us and through us. Some of us will be willing to suffer in ways we hadn't before. Some of us will be able to love in ways we had no ability to do before. Some of you will be able to say no to things and people you couldn't live without before. Some of you will have boldness to, to tell others about Jesus like you haven't before. Some of you will be used to lead and teach others. Some of you will be used to reach and open doors in your world and science and education and business. Your relationships and marriages and friends and parenting and children and money will do and go in unbelievable in amazing ways when the Lord is with you. You can't imagine or believe what good he can do. I'm sure when Phil came home and saw them boxes that night, couldn't imagine what the Lord would do. Some of y'all are facing some real incredible things 
the Lord does the unbelievable. If you ever see something in your life, there's nothing there. There's nothing left to do. We serve an ex nihilo God who takes stuff like nothing and nothing left to do. And he creates a world of love and peace and grace and healing and miracle out of it. He specializes in nothing. But let us not miss the forest for the trees as I close here. Saul was a killer of Jesus' people. He hated the Lord. And Jesus should have knocked him to his death when he knocked him off that horse and sent him to hell. Our blindness and lack of trust in Jesus is not a good enough excuse to free us from the fact that we have opposed God. That we have lived contrary and contradictory or hating that he is trying to be Lord of us. We have kicked against the goads and when we do, do so, we have kicked God. I remember one night, I was a teenager. I think I was 16. I was spiritual. I was one of those on-fire kids for Jesus. And I wanted to go to Bible study. My mama had one car. My daddy had his. And so I I was like, Daddy, he was just sitting down reading the paper. Can I hold the car? Because I want to go to Bible study. He said, no. Because I got to go to, I might need to use the car and go to rehearsal. And I thought in my mind, he don't need to go to rehearsal. He's just trying to try to control me. I was like, Daddy, I really need to go learn about the Lord. He was like, no, I have to use the car for rehearsal. I'm like, man, forget you. I took the keys in the car and I went to Bible study. He just had to deal with it. It was for the Lord. Christians are so right and stupid. You're so right. You're so true in your own life. I was young and stupid, but I was wrong. When we live contrary to the Lord, understand we take the car on the way to doing what we think is right, but we are wrong. But the Lord is unbelievable. Unlike my dad, he does not punish those (laughs) like he should and could who have called to be his. Get this. He loses for them. Jesus misses the ride for you. He becomes the fool patsy, left out in the cold for us. He gets persecuted for and by our off-righteous. He said, Paul, you're persecuting me. And Jesus allows that to happen, and then he loves you anyway. What? With an unbelievable love, with an unbelievable grace, with an unbelievable threshold of grace. You see, it wasn't their lives in the story that were the most unbelievable thing, because their lives were the Lord's doing. It was and is the Lord Jesus who is unbelievable that God has called you and calling you and giving you an unbelievable road and chance to forgiveness and more than you and I can see and give to ourselves. What kind of God is that? It is a Jesus who is an unbelievable Savior. I have a paraphrase here. I'm going to close, leave you with. Paul speaking in 1 Timothy 
chapter 1, and he's given a message to a young pastor. Saul, now Paul, mature pastor. It's a paraphrase from the message. I'm so grateful to Christ Jesus for making me adequate to do this work. He went out on a limb, you know, entrusting me with this ministry. The only credentials I brought to it were invective and witch hunts and arrogance. But I was treated mercifully because I didn't know what I was doing, didn't know who I was doing it against. Grace mixed with faith and love poured over me and into me. And all because of Jesus, here's a word you can take to heart and depend on. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. I'm proof, public sinner number one of someone who could never have made it apart from sheer mercy. And now he shows me off. Evidence of his endless patience to those who are right on the edge of trusting him forever. Deep honor and bright glory to the king of all time. One God, immortal, invisible, ever and always. Amen. Hallelujah. An unbelievable God gives us an unbelievable life because of an unbelievable Savior.